0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in uh, Luke 24, and then we will be in John 20, before we know it. John chapter 20, but we'll start with Luke 24. God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God this morning. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, giving each believer priest the opportunity to prepare yourself for this spiritual service of worship. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we are thankful for so many blessings that you pour forth upon us. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ and quite a few earthly blessings as well, Father, that you pour forth in your matchless grace. Father, we thank you for the blessing we have to assemble together on this day to present ourselves before you, workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to you, our spiritual service of worship. And Father, we thank you as we study the truth of your word that We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, Father, that we're not uh, being conformed to this age. We ask for your hand a blessing upon our time today, a uh, humility to evaluate effectively the uh, Scriptures that you demonstrate for us related to faith and unfaith or unbelief. Thank you, Father. In in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. All right. We've had quite a bit going on since we were here last. And you might have slept since then. A week ago, we were detailing the disciples' faith impairment. And I want to come back to that principle again. And we did get through all the verses, so we don't have to reread all the verses. It might be worthwhile, though, to at least remind, if not reread, remind ourselves about what these verses are dealing with and the volitional choices we have to either believe or not believe. To believe or not to believe, that is the question. And I think I can improve upon Shakespeare (laughs) in the sense of um, to be or not to be. To believe and what it is that we choose to accept because of the faithfulness of who it is that has promised. All right, it has nothing to do with our strength. It has nothing to do with with us when we believe. This is why belief is non-meritorious. This is why when we believe in Jesus Christ unto eternal life, that that is not works, that it is not credited as, as uh, wages, but it is credited as grace because it is a non-meritorious activity that is entirely grounded in the faithfulness of the one who has promised. And so, uh, point six in the outline, which I think is slide 10. Yep, there it is. The disciples remained faith-impaired. They were faith-impaired. And this is something we better pay attention to because there's occasions where we're faith-impaired. And we want to ask ourselves, why? <clears throat> what causes that? What leads to that? What, how can we remedy that? <clears throat> the disciples remained faith-impaired <clears throat> by virtue of joy and amazement. And this is what the Scripture says. And so we're going to have to wrap our minds around why joy is a problem. Joy should not be a problem. But joy is a problem here as it combines with amazement and impairs the exercise of their faith. So in Luke 24:41 we return back to it again. <clears throat> While they still could not believe it. I don't, I don't like that translation. While they still did not believe it. While they still would not believe it. There's nothing in the grammar that, or the the Greek, there's nothing in there that expresses inability, that expresses can, okay? More often than not, when the Greek wants to express can, it speaks of ability or power, able to. There's nothing in here that has the idea of able to, and that's why we took the time to examine every place in the New Testament that has these um, nouns and these verbs and these adjectives that relate to unbelief. I wish I could get them on one slide. I'll try to redo that to put them on one slide. In any event. Um, probably no point in redoing it if we don't look at the slide again. Not believing is a choice. And this is what's going to lead us into our class today with respect to uh, choosing not to believe Thomas. Okay, Doubting Thomas, as he's commonly referred to. Not that he doubted is that he chose not to believe or chose not to trust. Okay, and we're going to spell that out. They remained faith impaired. Now in Luke 24, 41, it says, while they still would not believe, while they still were not believing because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. Now what's the point in that? What is the demonstration value that's different than the demonstration value of his hands and his feet? Because he'd been doing that already in verse 40. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So there's the, there's the, this is show and tell time, right? Okay, this is show and tell time. And he invites them to touch him, to feel him. Okay, so what's the difference between the touchy-feely of verse 40 and the eating demonstration of uh verse 42 and 43 all right well we're going to spell out a few other things i think in connection with this but remember this was part of their response they were troubled going all the way back to he shows up he says peace be to you um he surprises them in this upper room or whatever room they're in where the door is locked and he stands in their midst they're startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart and these four words that are used to describe the problems that they were having, I find to be very descriptive and very uh, informative in our issues. Nothing wrong with being startled. We all get surprised by things from time to time. We, are, we don't have foreknowledge of the future. Uh, although if testimony has been coming, as they've been getting testimony from the women, from the, the Emmaus Road disciples, from Peter, their, their leader, they've had uh, example after example after example saying that Jesus is alive. So when he teleports in there, okay, I get the fact that they're startled and frightened. But what they're seeing combined with what they're hearing should be sufficient to allow them to start to accept the reality of what they're being told. And yet, they go from uh, startled and frightened to troubled and doubts. And that's where they've gone wrong all right that's where they're gone wrong if there's a circumstance in your life and it's troubling you give it to the lord it says casting all our anxiety upon him for he cares for us the problem is is when we choose to retain our anxiety when we choose to feed our anxiety when we choose to not give it to the lord then again it's back to that choice not believing is a choice not believing is a choice so when we draw that line at what point did they go carnal Was it uh, when they were startled? Did that make them carnal? No, I wouldn't say so. I think there were, uh, uh, you know, events in Christ's life where Christ was startled, certainly, or troubled. All right. He said, my soul is troubled to the point of death. But he gave it to the Lord. He gave it to the Father. He made it a matter of prayer. So why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? At that point, then, they had crossed the line. At that point, they had chosen not to trust in the promises. All right, now, whether it's the verb apisteo and all the places where it's found, whether it's the uh, noun apostia, okay, 11 uses there, and all the places where it's found, and at least in one case, we've got a doubling up, because I remember in Romans 3.3, 3, you've got both the verb and the noun that are employed there. Uh, you've got the compound noun oligopistea, little faith, little faith, where you're compounding oligos with pastia, little faith or a pistos, a pistos the adjective for unbelieving it's the opposite of faithful pistos is faithful all right and the reason why we can believe what god promises is because god is pistos and because god is pistos we don't want to be a pistos we don't want to put the alpha in front of that and be the opposite of what our savior is we're called to be faithful we're called to be believing ones Now, in all of these cases, we took the time last week, and and if we did it again this week, I imagine we would still benefit from it, okay? (laughs) But I think in the interest of time, we won't. But in all of those passages from last week, do you recall any of them that spoke of an inability, any of them that referenced the fact that they really wanted to believe they just couldn't find the gumption? right they couldn't find the fortitude they just they wanted to they really really wanted to it's just they weren't able to there was not a single example of that there was not a single example where a believer just simply didn't have the the uh the ability to believe all right and here's where we start to address i think some of the fallacies that fill uh christian thinking all too often and it's sad when it happens because they're confusing um, spirituality with maturity, and they're confusing faith and the ability to walk by faith with um, and, and strength in the faith. They're confusing with um, a victory in the Christian way of life. Okay, and this is where I want to I want to kind of correct that fallacy. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's all of us. That is that is us. Everybody in the Christian way of life, right? Like, you know, lottie-dotty everybody, like my drill sergeant used to say. Okay? Um, and it, it doesn't matter. If you just got saved this morning, and you are as babe as babe can get, you are still equipped with the portfolio of assets that come at the moment of your salvation, with the Holy Spirit who indwells you and the fruit of the Spirit which is faith. All right? A brand new believer believer can and should be walking by faith. Now, it's going to require some teaching and older believers to come alongside and show them how to do it. All right? Just like, you know, little, little munchkins learn from their older siblings because they see what they're doing and they start copycatting, all right? Baby believers from older believers, from their pastor as they're being fed. You don't have to be an old believer in the faith to walk by faith. How do you think you become an old believer in the faith? By walking by faith. That's right. As an adolescent. And how do you become an adolescent? By walking by faith as a babe. All right. And this is what's remarkable is, you know, um, some animals do this. They walk on day one. Humans don't. You know, humans are born and they get carried around for a period of time until they start crawling and then, you know, rolling and then crawling and then standing and then walking. You know, humans are kind of pathetic in that, you know, com- there are animals that walk on day one. Anyway, um, the fact is on day one, we can be looking to the Lord because on day one, we have spiritual eyes and on none of those passages do we find. Now, what I do find, though, are expressions such as weak in faith we find expressions about strong in faith. We find expressions about little faith, like in Matthew seventeen twenty. So now there are adjectives that modify pistis, that modify faith, and that's a fruitful study. Is, is searching the scriptures and asking or asking your Bible software to show you the adjectives that modify the noun pistis. Okay? And in identifying those we recognize that there are realities. Some believers are weak in faith. And that's a deficiency that has to be remedied. Some believers are strong in faith. And that's a benefit. That's a believer we want to imitate. That's a believer we want to surround ourselves with. That's a a believer who's strong in faith or maybe a believer who's gifted in the pistis spiritual gift. All right. They're going to have a grace enablement, a Holy Spirit enablement above and beyond anything the rest of us have even possible. Thank God for for that. All right. So we recognize that there are different strength levels, but they're available for all of us. They're available for all of us. Now, um, back to what we're looking at here. They've been told repeatedly that something is true. They've been, and now they're seeing it. They're seeing it unfold. What is keeping them from accepting or being persuaded by? What is uh, keeping them from trusting the reality of what they're hearing and what they're seeing that's something that we have to guard against we have to identify and he tells them and, and the holy spirit records it right here it is for because of their joy and their amazement because of their joy and their amazement so again i would ask i didn't, i asked a week ago to for you to chew on it but i don't hold it against you because we've been distracted <laughs> all right you probably haven't given it a second thought. I haven't given it a second thought. All right, so I'll confess that right here too. But when does joy become a problem? When does joy become a problem? You say, can you have too much joy? Is it that they have too much? Or is it the combination of joy with amazement? And what's wrong with being amazed? Now, thamazo is the verb Uh, Thaumacia, there's some other related forms, cognate forms. Uh, But amazement. What's the problem with being amazed? And are we supposed to be amazed? If there's anything wrong with being amazed, maybe it's dwelling on the amazement too much. All right. Or being amazed when we shouldn't be. Why are we amazed when God promised to do something? We shouldn't be, right. Jesus told them on the third day I will rise again. And these Emmaus Road disciples from earlier in the chapter, they said, besides, it's already the third day since these things happened. Okay. And it's almost like they're calling him a liar in that verse. Back in verse 21. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Okay. That's spoken of in, a, in, in the counterfactual reality that says, this is what we were hoping, but we, we believe it's not true. We were hoping He was the Christ, but we don't believe it. It's a counterfactual. We were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. They know about the third day promise. They're just doubting it. They're not believing it. Why are they not believing it? Well, yeah. if He said it, I better believe it because my failure to believe what he has promised is an attack on his character it's an attack on his integrity it's an attack on his very nature as the god of truth i'm calling him a liar when it's his adversary who's the liar and the father of lies choosing not to trust what he has promised is the is a pinnacle of blasphemy it puts god in the satanic category of a liar you know, considering the fact that the prime rebellion of the angelic conflict is this liar who said, I will be like the Most High God. And then what do I do? I turn around and I, I make the Most High God like that liar. I make him a liar and the truth is not in me. Okay? I really ought to teach First John one of these days. <laughs> now I'll let, I'll let Dan do that. So now, they've heard that he's back. But yeah, you know, it was women that said that. How do you believe that? And then Peter said he's back and he's the leader. Yeah, but Peter says a lot of things. Peter's kind of stupid. You know, Peter said, get behind me, you know, uh, far be it from thee, Lord, this should never happen to thee. And then and then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So, you know, okay, Peter said it, but yeah, that's just Peter. He says a lot of things. These Emmaus road disciples said it. Said, we saw him in Emmaus. Well, can you really trust those guys? They didn't stick around like we did. They bailed on us before dinner time and they were headed back home. Then they came running back saying, oh, we saw him in Emmaus. Really? Is he at the tomb? Is he at Peter's house? Is he at Emmaus? Where is this guy? Why does he seem to be popping up all over the place? Can't believe any of them. A bunch of liars. And then he pops up right there in their midst. <laughs> Maybe that's what troubled them. All right. And all these doubts. Anyway, scripture says they did not believe. They apostate ode. They apostate ode. Okay? That's what I was going to do. Let me bring this up. They apostate ode. And uh my memory on this verse before I say something inaccurate. Luke twenty four forty one. Ephesians five is where we were. Before, you ladies were having your prayer time, and us men were having a last minute uh, wedding prep. In Ephesians chapter five, so in verse forty-one, is that big enough? Etide de apistuntone autone apateskara kai thamazon tone. That's the, uh, those are the participial phrases that express that that set the table for apenautoi. He said to them, <laughs> okay, so. You don't even get to the verb until the main verb, which is he said, right there. He said to them, okay, do you have anything to eat? And all of this, eti de apestunton, auton, apates caras, kai thamazanton, all of that is setting the table, it's the, it's the conditions in which Jesus said to them. Okay? Eti, while they were yet. While, During. Yet, still. But they were still. And then, a ah, pistoon tone. a ah, pistoon tone. This is the verb, a-pisteo. Ah, a-pisteo. Ah, Alright. A-pisteo. Ah, That's the verb. A-pisteo ah, that I gave you there, in a point A. A-pisteo. Ah, okay. Now, The significance here, why is this a pisteo and why is it not ook not in front of pisteo? Understand the difference here. Pisteo means to believe. And I can put an ook in front of it and say, did not believe. Okay? That's not what the verse says. It's not the fact that they did not believe with ook and pisteo. As if pisteo is an activity, they just weren't doing it yet. Does that make sense? So Pisteo is an activity, meaning to believe. And if they're not doing it yet, then it's kind of a passive thing. It's kind of an omission, right? It's the sense that, well, they're just not doing this pisteo verb. It's worse than that. More than the fact that they're not doing the pisteo verb, they actually are doing... The opisthao verb. Okay? You see the difference? They are actively opisthaoing. It's a present part of the symbol of So it's, it's beyond the fact, it's, it's not just a sin of omission. That's, that's what I'm emph- emphasizing. Okay? And maybe I can think of an English equivalent. <laughs> right? Um, I mean, there's a difference between n- passively not doing something by omission. Okay? Something I'm not doing. I mean, just na- anything I'm not doing at the moment. Okay? I'm not tap dancing. I'm not juggling. I'm not yodeling. There's, I mean, there's an infinite number of things I'm not doing right now in the pulpit. Okay? That's not what this verb's is talking about. It's not a passive not doing something. It's an active... It's an act of doing something. And the action of Apisteo is disbelieving. Disbelieving. That, I think, gets missed. It's, it's, you see what I'm saying? It's more than just an omission of believing. It is an act of disbelieving. They were disbelieving. So, while they disbelieved while they disbelieved. And then it gives the basis for the disbelief. Apates karas because of the joy, or from the joy, out of the joy. And tone, another present participle, describing the ongoing wonderment of where their mind was. Joy is a noun, but uh, thaumadzontone is a participle a verbal noun, their wonderment, their wondering. Filled with amazement, filled with wonder. Now, many are his wonders, yes. Marvelous are his ways, many are his wonders. He is a God to be, uh, you know, in fear of and so forth. The problem is, is when we have that wonderment, that gee whiz factor inappropriately i think a lot of believers are craving the gee whiz uh, a lot of pentecostals a lot of believe and not just the charismatics and pentecostals a lot of believers promise keepers is all about the pep rally mentality and mindset it's all about the the gee whiz the problem is when you start to lose that it's like a drug you got to keep it going you got to keep feeding it and then you start to think that well if you've lost it then something's wrong with your christian way of life okay and that approach to Christianity does not allow for a tranquility. Does not allow for a a uh, a um, more of a shall we say a a calm uh, inner happiness and peace, okay, that comes with resting upon the Lord. Because they're craving the next pep rally. Anyway, this joy and wonderment is what had sparked the uh, the unbelief. And so that's something we should be praying about. They remain faith impaired. If we find that joy and amazement is hindering our ability to trust the promises, we have what we've done is we have placed um, a hyperemphasis on emotions and experience. Okay? Because faith doesn't come from joy, and faith doesn't come from amazement. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. And so I'm not mocking I'm not knocking joy we're going to have a lot of joy tonight we're going to have a lot of joy tomorrow night there's a lot of joy in the in the the weddings and you know there's a lot of joy when when joyful things happen sure we're commanded to rejoice rejoice always you know if something joyful takes place and you don't rejoice that's a problem but when you rejoice so much or so far or when you rejoice beyond the appropriate boundaries I'd say when joy Um, usurps our intellect when joy usurps our thinking when joy usurps our ability to identify with the promises in the word of god we've we've crossed a line and it's become a problem that that appropriate balance And and it goes either way i think there's doctrinal approaches that are so intellectual they deny they become vulcans they deny any kind of emotions and if you have any kind of a happiness well then that's emotional revolt of the soul or something you're just some kind of a weak sister and get back to the intellect all right no let's have a balance on this where the intellect is where it's supposed to be in the driver's seat where the emotions are where they're supposed to be the passenger seat okay don't shove them in the back seat or throw them in the trunk or drag them out every so often they they have a place just not in the driver's seat joy and amazement is what left the disciples faith impaired Okay, which now gets us to Didymus. Point seven, Thomas Didymus was absent and required an additional week, an additional eight-day week, before he would observe the Lord on Monday, April 13th, 33 AD. So let's go to John chapter 20 and look at it in verses 24 through 29. Join me in John 20, and we'll see an immediate application of what we were just talking about. Because trusting in Christ, whether it's the gospel for salvation or it's uh, biblical information for our edification, it's still trusting in Christ, who he is and what he said. And with respect to our ability or inability, we have the ability. We are volitionally accountable. We are constituted, constituted to respond. All right. As he works in and through us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now uh, this is uh, peace be to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you at verse twenty one. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But bad news for Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus was not with them when jesus came he was absent that night don't know why what was he doing where was he uh, can't answer that bible doesn't say and uh, we could you know spend all day guessing and none of us could prove anything As the verse doesn't say so the other disciples were saying to him imagine the next day or the day after throughout the week or what have you the other disciples were saying to him we have seen the lord but he said to them unless i see in his hands the imprint the tupas by the way i'm so thankful that that um, eric bush spoke about this the tupas that the uh because this is what we were talking about the form of teaching to which um we are committed the form of teaching that we become obedient to the heart from the heart to that form of teaching that tupas that imprint and here's the tupas in his hands." Uh, the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, the imprint of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. I will not believe. And here is a future tense of Pisteo with the negation. He will not Pisteo. I will not believe In John twenty twenty five. Again, I'm going to double-check myself just so that I don't misspeak. Aeon May Ido, unless I see. Aeon Me Ido. It's all about what I can see. (laughs) We're supposed to walk by faith, he wants to walk by sight. And then the final words there may pistuso that's the verb pistuo in a future in a f- future uh, tense Uu may pistuso he is not going to pisteo he is not going to believe absolutely will not Uu may it's the strongest negative you can think about in english if you double your negative you just undid it because you just <laughs> the way the english language works if I don't not do something, then the double negative undoes it and makes a positive out of it. And, and I ended up saying what I didn't want to say. But in Greek, a double negative intensifies it and makes it stronger. U may. Not just I won't believe, I absolutely will not believe. No way, no how believe. Unless. Aeon may. With a subjunctive, ido if i see it i'll believe if i don't see it i absolutely will not believe so this is the choice he is making not that he can't that he won't so thomas didymus was absent and required an additional week an additional eight-day week before he would observe the lord on monday april 13th 33 a.d now after eight days his disciples were again inside and thomas with them jesus came the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. It's like his greeting. When he teleports into a room, this is his standard greeting. Peace be with you. Okay, I'll have to remember that next time I teleport. (laughs) All right. I have teleported once in my life, but that's not a good story to tell in church, so I'll save that for later. <clears throat> all right he appears in their midst he stood in their midst the doors having been shut and said peace be with you then he said to thomas reach here with your finger see my hands and reach here your hand and this is amazing you know was the lord with them when thomas made this defiant statement hey well not when thomas made that defiant statement He was omnipresent he's 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 omniscient right um he wasn't there in fact i think thomas probably said it multiple times during that week the the imperfect voice of of things here when the other disciples were saying to him in verse 25 i expect that you know maybe peter came to him on monday and uh thaddeus came to him on Uh, you know and judas not iscariot came to him on a different day and maybe andrew came to him on friday and you know probably throughout the week a variety of these disciples maybe even the two emmaus road guys were on hand to tell him okay the idea is is that they kept on telling him and saying to him and he was saying to them probably over and over and over again not once was jesus present for his boast or his defiance But look how gracious the Lord is. Say, all right, Thomas, here I am. Touch me. Touch me, feel me. Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And stop being unbelieving, but believing. Stop being unbelieving, but believing. There's the real imperative. Jesus is so patient, so patient with Thomas And his ridiculous fleece. His ridiculous, like Gideon and his fleece. His ridiculous little um, temper tantrum. His ridiculous childish uh, statements that he's making. And Jesus very graciously, very patiently said, All right, here I am. Touch me. And then he wraps up his exhortation, though, with stop being unbelieving. I mean, shape up. Come on Thomas, you're an apostle of the Lamb. You're about to be a foundation stone of the church. <laughs> you got to start walking by faith. He only has what 10 days left now till uh, Pentecost. Or a little bit more than that maybe. He's got to uh He's got to get it together before this uh before this church starts. So, the uh imperative here in uh, verse twenty-seven, you have "may" plus "ginomai," and the imperative is "ginomai." And uh, the "apistos" or "pistos"—those are the choices. What's it going to be? Are you going to be "apistos" or are you going to be "pistos"? And it's entirely up to Thomas to make the volitional application. Now, Thomas is saved. Thomas has eternal life. Thomas is born again, regenerate. Is there anyone here that doubts that? You'll you'll probably encounter people that will, but hopefully not in this room. All right. This is the thing. There are certain theologies that won't accept the fact that a believer can be an unbeliever. And that's only the weakness of our language. We've got to stop using believer that way maybe. okay? Because a born-again, regenerate member of the royal family of God, a member of the body of Christ, can be an unbeliever, can stop believing, can stop walking by faith, can be unbelieving, as Jesus said here. The command is, don't be unbelieving, but believing. and if we can wrap our minds around that and accept that without the fear of you know he doesn't lose his eternal life he doesn't lose his salvation he's going to go to heaven when he dies i mean every every believer every every christian every member of the royal family of god who dies the sin and the death does so unbelieving he does so as an unbeliever he does so as an in the unbelieving the ginomai um a pistos condition, okay, if that makes sense, when Ananias and Sapphira died the sin of death, did they do so as a pistos or as pistos believers? They did so as a pistos okay So at this point now, if we can embrace this, then the warnings in Hebrews become much more vivid. The idea that there being that there not being in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God it has nothing to do with with your regeneration status you, you you're regenerate, you have eternal life, you're going to go to heaven even if you die in your unbelief. All those Jews that died in the wilderness, not one of them was sent back to Egypt. they died for their unbelief in the wilderness they failed to enter into the the land of promise. But not one went back to Egypt. So any believer today that dies the sinner to death, dies in their unbelief, they still go to heaven. Hopefully we're clear on that. Now, who is this doubting Thomas guy anyway? Well, to om. To om. It's a Hebrew word for twin. To om. So anybody that... Uh, you know if you know anybody named tom we don't have any toms in the church do we okay yeah we do we have a tom tom and crystal we've gotten to know them a little bit in recent weeks they're three daughters homeschool girls if you haven't met them yet tom and crystal so next time you see tom you can call him to om <laughs> and see uh see if he responds all right to om it's the hebrew word for twin used four times in the old testament genesis 25 24 remember them jacob and esau there were twins in her in her womb to Om in her womb and the older will uh, serve the younger remember that genesis thirty eight twenty seven more twins twenty eight thirty eight i'm sorry thirty eight twenty seven and these were uh um, oh that's terrible having a having a senior moment i'm not even a senior yet goodness what Judah and Tamar and the, um, yeah, she played the harlot and he didn't recognize that he was procreating with his daughter-in-law and came about at that time she was giving birth. Behold, twins in her womb. Why am I not thinking of their names? Perez and Zerah. There we go. Perez and Zerah. Okay. Perez came out. What a breach you made for yourself. So named him Breach and uh, Zera. Okay. Then uh, Song of Solomon 4 5 and Song of Solomon 7 3. He's complimenting her breasts, causing, calling them twins. All right. Thomas, now the Greek, Thomas, Theta, Omega, Mu, Alpha, Sigma, Thomas, it's not a Greek name, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew name thomas is the greek transliteration while didymus is the greek translation so thomas transliterates just gives the letters a phonetic equivalent but didymus translates so the the names are the same just one is a transliteration and one's a translation Didymus, D.I.D.U.M.O.S. This is the Greek translation. But we have no idea who Thomas's twin was. Now, goodness, here's, here's some legends for you. Okay, he's called Twin. So who's his twin? Okay, and uh, including this horrible idea that he was Jesus's twin. You know, okay. consider the fact if Jesus had a twin, guess what? We're talking virgin born, sinless, perfect. Okay problem there (laughs) there's only one there's the first Adam there's the last Adam Jesus doesn't have a twin and I think you can uh, end up with a conundrum and a circumstance there that would uh, yeah no we have no idea who Thomas's twin was Uh, there are uh, we don't really know much about Thomas there's other legends and things pretty much after this episode in into the church age he went to India and that's fairly well attested and in multiple sources and uh, continues to be uh, attested this day. The descendants of his ministry to this day credit Thomas with their founding and uh, so forth. We have really no reason to doubt those histories, those traditions and legends. And there's no reason not to accept them as valid um, as far as that goes. All right. Point B, not believing is a choice. In this instance, by someone who places God under their circumstantial requirements for believing. We turn it around. And this is what we've got to understand. Because I think this becomes a hindrance to believing. Not believing is a choice. Not believing is a choice by someone who places God under their circumstantial requirements for believing. if you do this then i will but until you do forget it buddy right i'm not going to if you do this then i will but if you don't i don't and it turns things around backwards it actually puts yourself in god's position because god is the one that controls the circumstance god always controls the circumstances God has the sovereign charge of every choice we make because He places us in the conditions and and circumstances in which we respond according to His foreknowledge in the manner that pleases Him and glorifies His Son. We don't control our circumstances. And we don't stomp our feet and demand that God gives the circumstances that uh, that we design. All right? Not how it works, not how it works you know we um we face the conditions we face in his sovereign plan. We run with endurance the race he set before us, and we're accountable. Make good decisions, make bad decisions, trust him or don't trust him, and reap what we sow. You now starting tomorrow. You're going to start to have marital testing, and you're going to be accountable. You've not been accountable for that up till now. you've You have not failed a single marriage test prior to today. You haven't passed one either. <laughs> okay. The fact is, until you're in those circumstances, you're not accountable. Once he places you in those conditions, you are accountable, and you start to reap what you sow how you believe and how you disbelieve and uh, we have to learn to be content in the conditions in which we find ourselves were you called as a slave were you called not as a slave we, we, we want to be faithful in those conditions if he chooses to remove our conditions or change our conditions specifically marital and non-marital in, in 1 Corinthians 7 we just, we're faithful where we are in what he has designed us to be running with endurance the race set before us when he chooses to change the conditions he's free to do that again we want to stay faithful trusting that if we had been faithful in little things we will still be faithful in bigger things and we want to build upon what we've learned and the smaller faithfulness with bigger faithfulness but we don't set the conditions saying well until you give me such and such right you know, pastors start demanding bigger flocks or something, right? Or bigger buildings or, well, you know, I would I would have had a bigger ministry if only the Lord would have given me a bigger ministry and, you know, goofy stuff like that, okay? <laughs> How about you walk by faith in every circumstance of where he has you? And you can't fail a test and say, well, it's not my fault. You know, if the miracles had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done in Capernaum, they would have repented. So can they stand at Judgment Day and say, wait a minute, it's not our fault. You should have given us Capernaum miracles. No, they're accountable. They will stand on Judgment Day and they're going to rebuke the unbelievers from Capernaum. They're going to rebuke those unbelievers to say, man, even we would have repented if we'd have seen Jesus walking amongst us. Okay? Okay. So again, we, we've taught this before, but we, we understand who is in charge of the circumstances. Why does he send Capernaum miracles to Capernaum and not send them to Sodom? Why does he send Jonah to Nineveh and why does he send um, Nahum to Nineveh, Nineveh 150 years later? Why does he send when he sends? Why he, see, we ask all these why questions. God has the answers for all of these. We, we may not. God controls the circumstances. And the minute I turn around and start demanding particular conditions and circumstances for my faith, I'm putting myself in God's position. God does that. God does that. And then holds us accountable when we we believe and when we disbelieve. That commands us to not be unbelieving, but believing. Because we can be unbelieving. This is to me... So, so huge. I will not believe. Um, And he says, stop being unbelieving, but believing. I have yet to find a single imperative ever given by God in Scripture to a recipient of that command with an inability to obey. I've never seen God. To me, it is insanity for God to give a command to a person, human, angel, man, woman, whatever, to give a command to a person unable to obey the command. Never command a man to have a baby. How dumb would that be? Okay? Women have babies. Commanding a man to do something he's unable to do, or a woman is something that they're unable to do. The command to be be believing and not unbelieving. Intrinsic to the imperatives of Scripture is the capacity to obey the imperatives of Scripture. And implicit with the accountability, the law of sowing and reaping and accountability demands ability. Demands ability. This this is a pet peeve for me because the, 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 the Calvinists have debated over the years. They will insist upon inability. They will insist upon the fact that no one can believe Until God makes them believe, in a deterministic sovereignty that forces every choice we ever make, and that front loads regeneration in violation of Scripture, and and where God causes us to be born again so that now we can believe. Not so. That's backwards in the in the order in the grammatical syntax of the New Testament. Stop being unbelieving. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And he's telling a born-again, regenerate child of God to not be unbelieving, but be believing. Get a the imperative, become a believing one. I think every single day we're going to wake up and become believing ones. Every single day we're going to continuously, day after day, repeatedly, we're going to get a mi. We're either going to get him as an apistos, or we're going to get him as a pistos, day by day by day. Either the word renews us, or the world conforms us. The age conforms us. Okay. So Jesus graciously provides Thomas's circumstantial requirements. (laughs) You know, very gracious. I think God is merciful. We may get a warning. A personal rebuke comes as a warning. And then he orders Thomas to change his choice from unbelieving to believing. Now, Jesus answered and said to him, my Lord and my God, in verse 28, we can rejoice in that. <laughs> okay. In other words, he responds to the rebuke. He responds to the rebuke. Would would that grace have continued for a second rebuke? Would that grace have continued for a third and a fourth rebuke? Jesus uh, Jesus is graciously providing those circumstantial requirements, but would he do that a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time? How long, how much rope do we have as believers? I think it's a short leash. I believe um, it's shorter than the unbelievers have. And I believe the older we grow in the Lord, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. God expects more of us the longer we're in the ministry. He expects more of us the longer we've been walking with Him. And our rope gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You know what I'm talking about when I say our rope, right? Our leash, our noose. Okay? He will hang us on that rope. God will discipline us. He scourges every son that He receives. So he's gracious this first time. Okay, well, Thomas, you weren't there. But he goes on to say, because you have seen me, have you believed? Now, interestingly enough, verse 28 does not, I I don't think Thomas touched him. Doesn't say that he does. I don't believe he did. He said he wanted to. Said he, he wouldn't believe unless he did. But as soon as he sees him, Jesus doesn't say, because you've touched me. He says, because you've seen me, have you believed? i think that he said okay here i am touch me feel me and thomas didn't dare Uh, he was just so struck so rebuked so humbled so fearful he just i think he probably fell on his face right there on the spot and didn't insist on you know reaching in poking feeling i mean the moment he visually saw him and heard that rebuke touch me feel me here's my hands here's my side you know, and, and, and is this is this harsh language? I think it's some of the worst rebukes in the world are given with kindness. You know, all right, Thomas, here I am. Here's my here's my sign. Here's my hands. If you must, you must. My Lord and my God. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believed. This message on faith, we're going to come back to next week, and we're going to see the uh, blessedness that we have because we're, you know, none of us have seen. Have, yeah, yeah, we have seen him. We haven't seen him yet. We believe in him. Okay. We'll talk about the blessings of uh, not seeing and believing. The blessings of being a church age saint, the body of Christ that is born again in response to the gospel message that these twelve men took into the world after pentecost okay jesus prayed for us in that high priestly prayer not for just the 12 but for those that will come to faith based on their gospel the body christ the church so we're going to come back to this in any event um any questions i've got five minutes remaining any questions on those circumstances or or on anything really Mm -hmm. that's That's first peter yeah that God provides all things pertaining to life and godliness seeing that his gracious yes that's 1 Peter 1 and the um, or 2 Peter 1 let me double check 2 Peter 1 yes 2 Peter 1 3 seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence and what's the vehicle for it through the true knowledge through the epinosis through the uh you know comes through his word faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god um it's it's in this book and we don't need to add to this book adding to this book means that everything there is a lie no it says everything everything pertaining to life and godliness so if i'm going to try to blend the bible with human philosophy that's a problem and if I claim that well he hasn't given me what I need to trust in him wait a minute he has given me all things necessary for life and godliness he's provided it don't blame him that's just like Adam saying well you know that woman you gave me <laughs> you know he should have given me a better woman <laughs> and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be you know wearing the fig leaf at the moment okay. No, don't blame him and what he gave you. He's given you all things, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Yep, that's true. The circumstances, God's in charge of those circumstances. He knows all the what ifs. He knows every what if. We were talking about this on Saturday as well. David prayed about those men in Keilah, the, the inhabitants of Keilah, give me up. And God says, yes, if you stay here, they will give you up. So he doesn't stay there. And God knows the counterfactuals to things that don't even happen. He knows the counterfactual of a future event that never happens because David leaves before it can't happen. But God knows those what-ifs too. The what-ifs that do happen, the what-ifs that don't happen, the what-ifs that can't happen because something else didn't happen first. All of that is in his middle knowledge. When we talk about, when we're talking about the foreknowledge and the, the middle knowledge of God's omniscience. And what it is that he selects when he picks out exactly those circumstances that give the maximum glory to Jesus Christ. The circumstances in which I got saved. My mother sitting down with me at a dining room table at the age of four. Are there other circumstances where I would not have gotten saved? Sure. Think about the circumstances where you got saved. Are there other circumstances in which you would have rejected that message? Sure. Sure. In fact, for some of us, uh, many of us didn't get saved on the first gospel hearing. Many of us got saved on the second, the third, the fourth, the hundred and fifth. All right. Because the circumstances weren't uh, precisely what they needed to be in God's foreknowledge for where your response was going to be. But he knows all that. He knows exactly that. And so to obtain the results he desires, he doesn't have to force you to do anything he knows what conditions you'll do what he wants you to do so he creates the circumstances where you do that which is pleasing in his sight that which glorifies his son and it means the sodom doesn't get the capernaum miracles okay it means capernaum gets the capernaum miracles and they don't respond to it anyway and he knows all that father i thank you for your truth i thank you for this message It's a lot to chew on, Father, and I pray in the coming days that we would dwell upon the apistos passages of the Scriptures and remind ourselves that many of those applications are born-again, regenerate individuals that are not walking by faith. The unbelief of the believer, Father, is a terrible problem, and all too often, all too often we dismiss those passages as talking about the unregenerate. When they're talking about the uh, the unfaithful, the those not walking by faith, the unbelieving, and many of the unbelieving are actually unregenerate, or I mean regenerate. And I just pray, Father, that we would chew on it and consider it and uh, accept the warning passages for what they are. It can be my heart. My heart can become an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. I pray it never does. I thank you that on this day it's not. And I thank you, Father, in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.